text for this evening is from John, the second chapter. Three days later, a wedding took place in the city of Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had been invited too. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they're out of wine. Jesus said to her, why did you come to me? My time has not yet come. His mother told the servers, do what he tells you. Six stone water jars were there. They were used for the Jewish purification rites. Each jar held about 27 gallons. Jesus told the servers, fill the jars with water. The servers filled the jars to the brim. Jesus said to them, pour some and take it to the person in charge of the wedding. The servers did as they were told. The person in charge tasted the water that had now become wine. He didn't know where it had come from, although the servers who had poured the water knew. The person in charge called the groom and said to him, everyone serves the best wine first, and when the people are drunk, the host serves the cheap wine. But you have saved the best wine for now. Canaan in Galilee was a place where Jesus began to perform miracles. He made his glory public there, and his disciples believed in him. Dear friends of Christ, last week we examined the, what John calls the second sign of salvation, the second sign of Jesus, and that was the miracle of healing. Today we talk about uh, the first sign that he did, and that's a sign of celebration. It's found in the, in the miracle of the wedding of Cana in Galilee, where he turned water into wine. Now it might seem strange that Jesus' first miracle would be to turn water into alcohol, um, 150 gallons of wine. And that's a lot of wine, 150 gallons. And everyone at the wedding responded a little differently. The disciples, when they saw it happen, it increased their faith. The servants, who knew it was water, were surely astonished. And of course, the master of the house said, everyone serves the good wine first, and you've chosen to serve the best wine last. John tells us that the, these water jars that they used were for ceremonial washing. Now, we don't understand what ceremonial washing is, but, but back in the days, it was a major thing in the life of the Jew. They were constantly cleaning because they had to wash, and, and the word there, wash, is baptize. So they had to baptize themselves. They had to baptize their hands. They had to wash uh, because they, they lived in Galilee, and there were a lot of Jews. And the law was that if you touched an unbeliever, uh, by the way, they're Gentiles, and, and, and if you touched a Gentile, an unbeliever, you then became unclean. Gentile means dog. So if you touched a human dog, you were unclean, and you had to wash. And even if you went to the marketplace and you touched things that other Gentile human dogs had touched, when you got home, you had to wash to get rid of that stain, of that, of that, uh, uh, that, that imprinted stain of Jewish uncleanliness, of, of Gentile uncleanliness now that, that was now imprinted on your skin. And you had to wash it away. And so, at a wedding, there are many people. And weddings back then usually lasted for about a week. And so you'd need a lot of water for all the times that they would touch something that they thought possibly would have been touched by a Gentile. And so Jesus uses these six jars of water. 
and he turns them into wine. These are man-made rules, these ceremonial washings. Not only did you have to wash uh, the Gentile stain off of, your, off of your skin, you also had to watch just in case the Gentiles had touched your cups or your table or your chairs or your plates or your bowls. And so they were constantly washing the, the dirt and the, and the disgusting nature of unbelievers out of their lives. Now these rules were all man-made. You won't find any of these rules written in the Bible. Jesus didn't like them. And so he takes these, the ceremonial water, he uses it all up, so there's no ceremonial water left, and he turns it into wine. Now Jesus isn't interested in ceremonial washings or in the tradition of the elders, these man-made rules. Jesus came so that people would celebrate. He wanted people to celebrate life. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that the people would have life to the full. That's what he said in John 10.10. And to those who disagreed with Jesus' celebratory way of life, they grumbled and they complained. Jesus responded to their complaints. John the baptizer, well, he came neither eating nor drinking. And they said about John the baptizer, he's a demon. Well, the Son of Man comes eating and drinking. And they say he's a glutton and he's a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus didn't care because he came to celebrate life. Now, it might seem strange to you that this first miracle is the turning of water into wine, wine that everybody's going to drink. Why would Jesus make wine? Well, first I want you to think about, uh, I mean, he didn't even know the couple being married. His mom knew the bride and the groom, um, and he, he did it at his mother's request. But why did he turn the water to wine? I want to tell you about, I want to talk about, I want you to think about once-in-a-lifetime events, though. You know, these events that happen only once in our life, where we get married, we're born, uh, we're confirmed, uh, we graduate, these type, we have a baby. Uh, these are type of things that only happen once, and these events are worth celebrating. These are life events. Now, think about those times uh, and, and, and as we come to Lent, then you say, well, why are we celebrating in the season of Lent? Seems odd during a season of repentance, during a season of introspection, during a season where Jesus is journeying to the cross, that we would now take time and we would say, oh, let's celebrate. Let's think about the celebrations of life. Well, Garrison Keillor says, we Lutherans get too serious about our faith, about matters of faith. You know, he's kind of that humorist. And he says, uh, we Lutherans uh, live as if it's the season of Lent all year long. And maybe that's true. And yet we Lutherans talk about celebrating Holy Communion. That's what we call it, the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Well, what kind of celebration is it? If a stranger were to walk in while we're celebrating the Lord's Supper, would he recognize it as a celebration? Well, probably not. Maybe he would. But the Lord's Supper is a celebration. It's a celebration of forgiven sin. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of unity. We are one in Christ's body. Not only are you, do you and I become one in Christ, we celebrate that, but every 
Christian who has ever lived, every believer in the Old Testament and new, is now bound together in that meal. Those saints, living and dead, are bound together in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a celebration of life with all the saints. A celebration of the Lord's Supper. And as the disciples' faith was strengthened when they saw Jesus turn the water into wine, our faith is strengthened when we come and Jesus turns the bread, the unleavened bread, and he turns the wine into his body and blood. And then our faith is strengthened, and we see that happen, and we said, body and blood, given and shed for me. And our faith is strengthened, and we celebrate that life, that miracle of life. And the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the feast to come. It's a foretaste, just a taste of the greater feast that's coming. It's a foretaste of the celebration we're all going to have. When Jesus Christ comes again, all the dead in Christ will rise from their graves and will meet the Lord in the air. All the unbelievers will rise from their graves and God will send them to their eternal perdition. And then God's going to restore all the heavens and make a new earth. And he's going to put us back on the new earth. And you know what the first order of business is? As soon as our feet hit the planet, we're going to have a feast. We're going to have a banquet. We're going to have a holy communion. We're going to have a celebration of life. It's a one-in-a-lifetime celebration event. There's going to be wine, there's going to be laughing, and there's going to be celebration. And there's a reason to celebrate, because it's a foretaste of the feast to come. And so the sign of Jesus' celebration, the sign of Christ's salvation, is celebration, even in the face of the cross, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of sickness and death. We don't need ceremonial washings, and we don't need ceremonial rules of how to wash our plates and our tables and our, and our chairs. We don't need these ceremonial laws to wash us clean. No, we have the waters of baptism that washes us and prepares us. Heaven is ours because of what Jesus has done, and it's called eternal life. And we celebrate it. We celebrate it today we celebrate it for all eternity. My friends, in this solemn season of Lent, we anticipate that great day. And again, we look forward to that eternal celebration. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.